Welcome to Team Building Cultures, the podcast designed to deliver tools and tips for improving team communication, collaboration, and fostering a culture where teams thrive. Now, here's your host, Beverly Hathorn, owner of Strategic HR Consultants. Hello, listeners, and thank you so much for joining another episode of Team Building Cultures. I am your host, Beverly Hathorne, owner of Strategic HR Consultants. Today, I'm very happy to be speaking with my guest, Jerry Dugan. Jerry is the CEO and Senior Leadership Consultant for BTR Impact, helping leaders build teams with impact through servant leadership principles he learned while serving in the U.S. Army on Christian ministries and in corporate healthcare. Jerry currently lives in Dallas, enjoying the empty nester life with his wife of 21 years, Olivia. Jerry, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you being here. I'm excited. Uh, Same here, Beverly. Thank you for uh, having me on here. Yeah, yeah. So I understand, um, you know, being the CEO of Beyond the Rut. So tell us a little bit about what that is and how that impacts us. Yeah. So Beyond the Rut uh, originally started as a podcast eight years ago in 2015, August 2015. I remember like it was eight years ago. Uh, (laughs) So uh, myself and two buddies from the men's ministry space, we got together and we said, we want to create a podcast that will inspire and equip men who are about our age. They're married. They've got kids. They have a good um, career progression going in terms of they're probably in a manager role. They're probably going into a director role and they've got their sights on becoming an executive. But despite this trajectory, they feel empty inside. They're not fulfilled. They're not living a meaningful life for themselves. So how do we share in sto- you know, encouraging stories and insights from others who've been in that rut, been in that place, and then found success in their career while also having their faith and their family intact? So that had been the show for eight years published a book based on the show, Beyond the Rut, Create a Life Worth Living in Your Faith, Family, and Career. And what I didn't expect when I started that project, uh, that was about seven months ago prior to us being here right now, I didn't realize I was going to be leaving my corporate job to start my own business doing leadership development uh, because I had this realization as I'm working on the book, as things are unfolding at work, I realized I was in my own rut, that I had put on the golden handcuffs in a sense. And I was putting up with a toxic work environment for the paycheck, for the career progression, and it was taking a toll on my family. And my wife and I, we had a discussion and she simply said in the end of the discussion, I want my husband back. He hasn't been here in the last year and a half. And I'd love to have that guy back. I'd love to have his bounce and his step back. I'd love to have his cheerfulness back. And so I applied concepts from the book Uh, the five F's, faith, family, fitness, finances, and my future growth. And that's when I realized my career is putting a a damper on my family life and then on my physical and emotional health. Uh, And so that was, that's beyond the rut, the original, the origin story in a sense. How did that become BTR Impact? Well, I took a look at my skill sets, the things I was passionate about on top of beyond the rut and my skill sets and my job experience had been around leadership, helping other leaders become stronger leaders, inclusive leaders, uh, servant leaders. 
And I realized that's my, that's my passion. That's my jam. I know lots and lots of content around this and I can help structure a process or a system of leadership principles and practices that'll help leaders engage their employees on a higher level, provide opportunities for growth for their employees, provide a sense of connectedness and belonging, and ultimately help employees feel cared for on this team so that as an end result, turnover drops, safety incidences drop, uh, productivity goes up, absenteeism drops, uh, the sense of pride and ownership in that team goes up. So much so that your team members are now recruiting people they know to join your organization in some way, shape or form. And that's the ultimate end goal is that employee engagement is so high that your organization is thriving. And so BTR Impact focuses on things like uh, building trust with your teams, rounding with your employees, delegating responsibilities, not just delegating tasks and things they need to do, but delegating a piece of the organization and the authority that the leader has to your individual employees so that they're growing and stretching and uh, preparing for the next level of their careers. And so that's what BTR Impact focuses on. It helps people leaders uh, leverage best practices in uh, leadership so that they can give themselves a competitive edge in today's labor market. Oh, wow. That is really so relevant, Jerry, because especially when you talk about building trust and delegating responsibilities, we need to let our employees understand how they impact the organization. Now, you're not just another uh, cog in the wheel, you know, turning the wheel uh, of this huge uh, machine. You're actually, uh, your input, your presence actually helps the, the organization move forward and obtain their goals? And how do you do that as an individual? So tell me, what are the benefits of delegation in the workplace? Mm. There, there are a lot of benefits when it comes to delegating in the workplace. Uh, on a personal level, as a leader, I get to take vacation. <laughs> and I can sleep well at night while I'm on that vacation because I trust my team can problem solve. They know my intention when it comes to getting the work done. They know the organization. They know their role. And then they also know their level of decision making when it comes to issues that come up. So the benefit to me is I get to take vacation and enjoy the week or two weeks I take off. I get to leave at the end of the day knowing that I don't have to worry about work until I come into work the next day. Uh, so my own personal well-being as a person, as a leader, is much better because I'm trusting people to do the work. So that's, that's one benefit. The other one is if you look at uh, all the information out there on employee engagement, quiet quitting, uh, why 2022 saw one of the highest resignation rates, uh, more so than when we said 2021 was the great resignation. I think something like 55 million Americans quit their jobs or 51 million Americans quit their jobs in 2022 to go on to another organization that paid more, offered more flexibility. And in the exit interviews of these 51 million people, of those who responded to them anyway, the trends had three big pieces to it. Uh, the first one was they wanted more flexibility. So if the job could be done from home, these employees wanted to be able to do some or all of their days from home. Now on the flip side, 
another reason why they left was they did not feel connected to the work environment or the people they work with. So you got to find that balance of how do I provide flexibility and schedule and provide that sense of connection to the organization and to other team members. But the third thing is what really stood out to me, and that was the sense of a lack of growth opportunities in the organization. So when we go back to that question of what is the benefit of delegating to your employees, you're providing growth opportunities. So not just like saying your job is to check the mail every day, but really like your job is to conduct an analysis of our budget spending for the last two weeks and help us decide what do we spend money on in the next month. Um, and I need to do that every month. Or, uh, hey, you're in charge of this specific standing meeting that happens every month, and here's the, the objective. And, and you're handing off these responsibilities that it, it belongs to that individual you've handed it off to. They eventually get to make the decisions uh, based on a ladder that you provide. And by doing that, you're providing them with growth, it may not be an immediate promotion for them, but when it comes time to be considered for a supervisor role or a manager role, hopefully you've been providing them with responsibilities and decision-making um, experience that meets the leadership competencies for your organization. So if good decision-making is one of your leadership competencies in your organization, and you give somebody a responsibility where they're making decisions on their own, you're helping develop and grow that employee for the next level. So the benefit is you're creating a leadership funnel as well as holding on to your top talent and you get to sleep better at night. So those are the big three. <laughs> I see, I see. And those are three awesome benefits, particularly when we talk about the growth opportunities. Employees, in, in my opinion, um, everybody wants to do a good job and everybody wants to grow and get promotions and learn more, uh, have more responsibility. You know, it just fulfills some uh, inner need that we have um, to uh, take on bigger and better things. Uh, it's a personal satisfaction that you get from that growth. And so I can see that being one of the, the big three, so to speak, that uh, employees are leaving. I can also understand the flexibility portion because the working from home or work from anywhere, as it came to be known, is uh, a trust opportunity for leadership. If you can create the infrastructure to let that happen, and we've already proven we can create that infrastructure when COVID hit and hit so quickly, uh, many businesses were able to pivot from a uh, concrete building or, you know, uh, a standard workplace to working at home. They got the equipment, they established the processes, they were able to uh, implement different, um, a pivot in the way the business works to manage that. So if you can do that, and that made employees so happy because now they don't have to fight the traffic. They uh, get to spend more time with their families. Not that they're spending time with their family while they're working, but the time that they would be in commute is time that they get to spend with their families and spend at home. So, you know, and it just gave them a sense of my employer trusts me to do my job and I'm going to do it. You know, uh, so I, I can see those being, um, big things for employees and definitely, yeah. um, you know, a concern. So 
What are some limiting benefits that leaders have with delegation and how can they be addressed to minimize the negative impacts? Ah. Now, I don't know about limiting benefits, but I know like limiting beliefs. Uh, in, in the workshops I've run over the past decade, give or take, one of the questions I would ask them in terms of delegation is, you know, what holds us back from delegating? You know, what are we afraid of when it comes to delegating? Uh, and hands down, or even just like, what's your perception of delegation? And a lot of the feedback that we would hear from the participants in these workshops is, I can get it done so much faster if I just do it myself. So I don't have time to sit around and, and the phrases they would use is, I don't have time to sit around and babysit somebody on something I can knock out in about 30 seconds to 60 seconds. In their mind, that's how long it takes. The reality is they're switch tasking. They're, they're taking a few minutes to get away from a task they're already doing, a couple of minutes to get up and running for a task that they need to do, and then they got to switch tasks back to what they were doing. So really, to do something that you think could be done in 30 to 60 seconds could cost you 15 to 30 minutes of your actual time because you got to get to your computer, or it could cause delays. So rather than having something taken care of right now, People have to wait on you, the manager, to come out of seven meetings and at the end of the day, maybe at 6 p.m., finally do the thing that takes you 60 seconds. And the reality is you could have given that deliverable six or seven hours ago if you trusted other people to do it. So that's one limiting belief is that I could do it faster myself and I don't have time to teach somebody and babysit them. And the second one is what if I delegate it to somebody and they do it wrong? Well, chances are, if they're learning a new skill and a new responsibility, they are going to make mistakes. So having grace in place so that you're allowing them a safe place to, to grow, to learn the hard way, and, and protect them. Let them know that I'm not going to throw you under the bus because of a mistake. We're going to learn together. We're going to grow together. Uh, so that's the other one. And then the third limiting belief might be, I expect it to be done a specific way. And because it's not being done a specific way the way I like it, I may take it back from the person that I delegated to. And if you want to undermine the efforts to build trust and a sense of belonging, not just like negate it, but create a negative, <laughs> give somebody a responsibility and then take it back. You're going to lose somebody within months. They, they probably quietly quit in that moment when you take something away from them. So yeah, um, getting past that myth, you can do it faster if you just did it yourself trusting people uh, to give them space to, to make mistakes as they learn. And the third one is to, to really release that ownership, like allow them to, to do it their own way. You know, it's um, my, my wife would often ban me from doing the laundry or from doing the dishes because in her eyes, I did it wrong. It's like, no, they, the clothes got washed, cleaned, folded. I even used the, the fabric softener stuff and, and <laughs> made it smell good. Uh, so everybody knows I'm married because there's fabric softener uh, and the dishes, they cl they're clean, they're, they're sanitized, whatever it is, just because I didn't stack the dishes the way you would, or because I didn't fold the t-shirts the way you would, that's not right or wrong. It's different. And, you know, I would, I would even point out, like, if we fold it my way, we could actually stack all the t-shirts into this one drawer instead of two or three drawers. You don't have to get all these extra hangers and, um, I still got banished from doing laundry, but <laughs> the point was kind of made. Like, if you want me to help, expect me to do it my way or a way I feel would still get the job done within the parameters given. And so those are sort of the limiting beliefs that leaders can have when it comes to delegating. I can do it faster. Uh, they're going to make mistakes. And um, 
Oh, what was that third one I was, I was just talking about? Oh, my way. They're not going to do it my way. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I can per- I can perfectly see that, and I'm actually in alignment with that. When I first uh, became a manager, first level manager, I made one of those critical mistakes. I had a really high performer on my team, and he did a really great job. He and I had a wonderful working relationship. Not only could I count on him to do what he was responsible for. He was my go-to in times of crisis or a problem. Well, I went to him in a time of crisis and asked him to take care of something. And because he did not do it my way, I was not happy. And I expressed that discontent. Well, to say that he quiet quit at that moment, I mean, I literally saw the energy drain from him. I literally saw that happen. I immediately knew that I had made an error, a serious error. Unfortunately, this employee did not allow me to correct it. And for the remainder of the time that he was on my team, we never rebuilt. We never came back to that place that we were. So I lost huge. That was a big impact for me. And I kind of learned several things. And one is that trust your people. You've Hired them, you've vetted them, you've trained them, let them do their job, trust your people. And just because they don't do it your way doesn't mean it's wrong. This is actually where the creativity and innovation happens. This is where things actually get better, potentially. You know, this is, you know, and even if it doesn't get better, take their way and your way and put that together and make a better way. But this is where you're limiting all the creativity, you're limiting all the innovation, all the things that they bring to the table, you're limiting it at that point. So that that's a big loss. Um, That reminds me of um, one of my first tasks that I did or things I delegated when I was at my previous job. So this is about four years ago, almost four years ago. Uh, I was tasked with choosing a coaching model that we could teach to the managers and above in the organization. And the parameters were, it has to be grounded in a best practice, a commonly accepted best practice, like the GROW model, or ATD has um, a coach model. Uh, Mm -hmm. Fierce Incorporated has their own coaching model. So like, take one of these best practices and adopt it and, and tell me why we're adopting it. That's what my boss wanted from me. And he gave me something like a stack of seven books, multiple articles to read. I could tell he already had a decision made on what he wanted. He just wanted me to echo that decision. But that's not what he said. Uh, That came out later when we had our discussion and I realized I didn't do what he wanted verbatim. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. uh, there are a couple of things. He wanted me specifically to be the person who did all the research and made a decision. I didn't have time for that. I was still learning my job. Well, I had an intern walk up to me. She was in the last few hours of her internship. And this is what got her hired in my book. Uh, But she asked, is there anything she could do to help me? And she was probably expecting me to say something like, "I, I need some things filed. I need some bags prepared for orientation. She was offering that kind of thing. And I looked at my newly given stack of books and articles. And I looked at her, I was like, hey, Joy, what do you feel about coaching models? (laughs) And she's like, we're studying that in school right now. Great. Do you want some extra credit that applies specifically to your internship? And she said, yes. 
you don't have to read all the books, but I need you to go through these books, go through these articles, give me three best practices based on what you've, you're studying, based on what you've read here, and make your decision to me. What would you choose and, uh, and why? And if you can have that back to me in two weeks, would that work? And she's like, that'd be great. She took those books. She went into that office. I think she even came in extra days just to, to read these books. And at the end of the two weeks, she gave me three models to choose from, pros and cons, uh, not just from their usage, but also uh, from like perspective of the leaders using them. And I presented that to my leader and he was livid because I didn't do the work myself. I'm like, I'm the director, I have a team and I leveraged my team and I'm providing you information. I could speak to all the things in this packet. So that was like ding number one in my book. And he kept coming back to one specific model. And I was like, well, if that's the one you want to go with, let's go with that. And he said, no, 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 no. Well, I, what I want is our own. <laughs> I want our own model. I'm like, well, we could have saved time if you said that up front. Uh, but let's get back to it. I can, I can delegate that out and have that within a few weeks. He's like, no, I want you to design it. I was like, yeah, I'll design it. You know, in my head, I'm like, with my team, <laughs> like with the great talent I have, I'm going to design it. Because even the list of three, it was better than, and the pros and cons were more insightful than what I would have done on my own. And, and that's because I trusted an intern and I gave her that responsibility and I was not going to take that responsibility back. So I went back to her and I said, okay, it looks like what we want is a fourth option. And that's a model of our own that fits these parameters. And I'll tell you, in three weeks time, she came back to me with our own model. I had never heard of it before. The elements were a blend of all three of these models together with additional support pieces from other communication models. She made a comprehensive, simple to recall, simple to utilize model, but the depth behind it was amazing. And it was by far better than anything I would have come up with on my own. I know my boss didn't come up with it <laughs> and, and nobody else had really seen this. And I presented that to him and he was just blown away, but he also argued it for about two weeks. So it took me two weeks to really argue why it's better, why it's going to work for us. I kept reminding him of his parameters. And I think if there was anything he was upset about it by was one, I didn't do it myself. And two, it, it was the byproduct of an intern. And and he was like, we can't just present that because an intern created it. I was like, yes, an intern you and I trained and developed. So her idea is a testament not just to herself, but the freedom and the support we provided her. And when I framed it that way, he was like, all right, we'll give it a shot. And he became a big proponent for it. And, and I still remember it to this day because my, my intern who became my employee still remembered that three years later when I was leaving the organization, she put it in her thank you note to me that she still remembers the day I gave her this project and let her own it. And it was the first time in her professional career, she felt like she truly was a professional and she looks forward to more experiences like that. And I was like, all right, I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving now. <laughs> yeah. See, you know, that's the, um, that's the leadership that I'm a proponent of um, that, 
place where you trust your people to go at it and do it. And it is the enemy of micromanagement, which it sounds like your leader had just a little bit of a touch of, you know, even though he gave you the parameters, he still wanted you he to do it his way. Yeah. You know, he still wanted to like step in there and, you know, instead of just letting you get it done and you took a wonderful opportunity to grow your employee that you trained and vetted and developed, you know, so you took a wonderful opportunity to grow joy. And uh, I'm sure that, you know, skyrocketed her. Well, for one, it did a lot for her inner sense of well-being, you know, gave her an opportunity to be trusted and do something really well and, and, and do good at it that really applied to her. You didn't just give her like, you know, dump work or something. You yeah. gave her something that actually applied to her and would help in her growth and development. So I'm sure that was great for her. And, you know, sometimes we as managers struggle to delegate something that we feel only we can own. So how would you say managers like your manager who felt that only you could own that, what would you say they could do to kind of eliminate that thought process or that happening in their mind? Oh, I'm the only one who can do this, so I can't delegate this. You know, mm. how, how do they get around that? I mean, in an extreme sense, I know in, in my early leadership career when I was in the U.S. Army, I don't know if I shared this with you when we talked earlier uh, in the week, but in a training exercise, so not in real life, but in a training exercise, I was leading a, and this is in the army, I was leading a 35 person platoon. So 35 people following my lead, woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the part where I got them all killed. <laughs> Okay. All of them. They all died. Uh, except oh. no, except for one. There was one other survivor because she was on guard duty with me in the ammo shack with one of our instructors. Uh, oh, wow. So, yeah, it's the end of our primary leadership development course. And I had been getting a lot of flack through the whole course from my instructors. Sergeant Dugan, you need to delegate. Sergeant Dugan, you need to let your soldiers do their job because your role is different when you're in the platoon sergeant role. Your role is different when you're in a leadership role. You don't do the things you did as a soldier. Your soldiers do the things they do as soldiers. You need to do the things a sergeant does. And you need to prepare to be the sergeant above you in case he or she dies uh, or gets promoted and you got to fill the vacancy. So that's mm -hmm. your growth. You got to think bigger. You got to think whole picture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to ever see you on guard duty ever again. You have soldiers to assign to guard duty. Your job is to make sure the whole roster is filled that everybody is equipped, everybody is trained, everybody is briefed, and that the mission as a whole succeeds. So that went on for 30 days. And of course, on day 25, I learned why. <laughs> and, uh, because I refused to follow these instructions. I was always this guy like, I can't ask my people to do things I'm not willing to do, and I need to demonstrate I can do these as well. And so there I am, four or five in the morning, Whatever the worst shift was for guard duty, these are one-hour shifts, rotating people. And rather than assigning somebody for the 4 a.m. shift, I took it. And I was like, I'll, I'll be the good leader here. I'll take the hit here. I'll take the worst guard duty shift so nobody complains. There were plenty of people to do the shift. And I remember going to my first squad leader, waking him up and telling him, hey, 
I'm going to go guard the ammo shack. I'll be back in an hour, but I need you to wake everybody up and get ready for stand two. Stand two is something you do at sunrise and sunset because historically that's when you're likely to be attacked. So you put everybody on guard, you know, be prepared for a fight. So that was his job. Wake everybody up, have them ready for stand two in the morning. And he's like, I got this. You go do your thing. So I go to the guard shack and I'm hanging out with one of my cadre, my instructors, and I'm being mentored by my, um, by my instructor. And I'm like, this is great stuff. I'm glad I'm in here and I'm growing. I'm learning things. Well, the hour goes by, our relief comes in. So two more soldiers come in from my platoon and they see me and they're like, oh, you're here. I'm like, yeah, I'm here. I, I told everybody in the platoon, this is where I'll be. So you haven't heard? No, haven't heard what? You got fired. <laughs> and as soon as my soldier told me that, I look over at Sergeant Jorge, and he's he's like a 10-year veteran, uh, infantryman. He's deployed around the world uh, quite a few times. And he just dropped his head, and he's shaking his head. He's like, I've been telling you all cycle, Sergeant Dugan. I've been telling you all cycle. Uh, and I'll, I'll brief you when you go get your butt chewing. Uh, but I already know what happened. And so I had, he's like, if I have your soldier tell you the story. So I had my soldier tell me the story and she goes on to say, uh, yeah, it turns out nobody was awake for stand two. And I was like, what? And she said, on top of that, it looks like we got attacked from the far end where third squad was. And, uh, two of the opposition force, which were our instructors playing as the bad guys basically took machine guns and walked down the line and wiped everybody out until they got to the last two people of first squad. And then they ended the exercise, asked where the platoon sergeant was. Uh, nobody knew. Nobody everybody, knew. <laughs> yeah. Everybody freaked out. And, and so they started coming up with fake answers like, oh, he said he quit and he went home. Uh, no, I saw him take all his clothes off and run into the woods screaming. Ah! <laughs> and somebody else said he's MIA. And another guy said the enemy got him. Um, so I got fired in that moment and whoever the smartest alecky answer was got promoted into the role. Uh, they, they fired him within a day. They're like, Oh no, put the other guy back in. Um, and so after the story was told to me, Sergeant Jorge said, I want you to remember this. Your entire platoon died this morning because you didn't want to act like a leader. You wanted to act like one of the soldiers. And because of that, you didn't take care of your soldiers to take care of the mission. And now they're all dead. I was like, oh, shoot. So he's like, now, when you go out there, they're all alive. They're going to be laughing and joking about it. But I want you to remember that because you will be in charge of people after you graduate from this program. And I want you to remember that your role is different. And because of that, it's imperative that you learn to delegate, one, to get the job done through your team, but also to prepare them to take place of you if something should happen to you. And that's all I got for you, Sergeant Dugan. I'll see you on the road march. I was like, oh man, we gotta do that still, it's 12 miles. I had 12 miles of carrying a heavy pack and a weapon to think about my whole unit dying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, ah, but that stuck with me. That was over 20 years ago. That was about 21 years ago when that happened. And I still remember it, that when you're in a leadership role, you're now developing people. You got to develop their skills. You got to make sure they're equipped with what they need to do the job. You got to uh, give them permission to think on their feet because you're not going to be everywhere all the time to make all the decisions for them. And delegation helps you create that agility. 
that's needed in today's work environment. Uh, you know, we complain about like in nursing, you know, one of the biggest complaints nurse leaders have is that their nurses don't have critical thinking skills. I'll delegate mm -hmm. some stuff to them and put them in situations where they mm -hmm. have to critically think and they'll build their critical thinking skills. Um, you know, there's some things they just, they're not allowed to like, you know, doing medical procedures, they can't just critically think. You gotta be a physician for that. But there are other things they can do that develop those critical thinking skills. Uh, so yeah, leaders gotta lead. <laughs> they gotta do Yes, <laughs> Yes, leaders must lead. You know, and in the course of leading, that was a wonderful story, by the way, quite entertaining the way you <laughs> uh, described it. And I certainly, again, understand how something like that could happen. And leaders must lead. You're in the position that nobody else is there. So things that um, will be revealed by your leadership will only be revealed to you. For instance, resources, you know, uh, well, training, like you said about the nurses and the critical thinking, but also resources. Your team may just have created workarounds or something for uh, lack of certain resources. But if you're in the leadership position and you're actually leading, you those will be revealed to you. You'll understand that, well, you know, my team needs a, a process or a system for whatever it is, or they need something to help them clear errors. They need resources that list all the errors so that they know, you know, what steps to clear these errors or, uh, maybe in, like in my case in uh, customer satisfaction where I worked for many years, uh, we needed to understand, have our team understand how to manage irate customers. You don't just automatically send them to a manager. You know, when, when a customer says, well, I want a manager and I'm only going to speak to a manager. Well, sure. But if a customer is upset about a product or a service not working properly or, you know, a refund or a bill, Teach your team how to talk to those people, how to de-escalate them, you know, how to help them understand that you're going to get this handle for them. Teach your team how to do that. That shouldn't always go have to go to a manager. And that's one of the things I talk about in my workshops where I support customer service managers and helping build stronger teams. That'll, that'll help free the customer service manager up sometime because they have another job and it's not just uh, the team or the customer. They, the, the customer service manager actually has their own job. And it's difficult if they're always doing step two of the customer service representative's job. So teach them how to de-escalate, give them de-escalation training, uh, help them understand how to spot it before it happens. You know, just, uh, lead them <laughs> just yeah. lead yeah 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 so, we, we get yeah, caught up as, as leaders we get caught up in putting out fires that's a phrase i heard a lot in healthcare uh is that i would love to work on these things that are strategic that are important but not urgent but i've always got to put out these fires mm -hmm. all day long mm -hmm. and at some point if that leader takes the time to take a step back and really look at the fires that are being put out every single day there's going to be a pattern there. There's going to be a consistent, this is the issue mm -hmm. that comes up every day. This is the fire I keep getting called into. What of these fires can I delegate the problem solving to my team? And 
it doesn't have to be anything formal. It just, it could be, I mean, if you have to make it formal, make it formal. But what I would start doing and I have done is I, I had one employee, every time there was a technical issue, she would approach me and I would give the answer right then and there. And I'm like, but man, this person did absolutely nothing for the two hours it took to get a hold of me to tell me the situation, which had not enough information to begin with. And then what could have been fixed within a minute if the person had the right skills really took like four hours of back and forth because I was popping in and out of meetings and this person chose not to act until everything was set by me for them to feel they had permission to go forward. And so I realized I need to delegate the problem solving to this person for whatever reason, whoever was before me, and I know better now why this was developed this way, but I needed to delegate problem solving to my employee. So rather than just giving her the answers every time she came up to me with a, an issue, I would respond with a question and it annoyed her. Like you wouldn't believe the first 10 times I did it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I explained to her every single time why I was doing it. I'm like, I, I know this seems annoying. You want me to just give you the answer and send you off. I want you to be able to make this decision when I'm not around. And so I'm responding with questions to get you thinking outside your box and to let you know you've got permission from me to think outside this box you've been in. And I don't know what box this is. I don't know who created it with you. But if you're willing, I'm willing to blow this box up with you if you are. Mm -hmm. She's like, let's do this. So every time she come to me with a problem, she's like, hey, uh, this came up and this is the situation. Uh, what should I do about it? And I would respond, uh, what do you think we should do about it? Based on this parameter, this parameter, and this parameter, what would you do in my place as far as the decision goes? And she's like, well, I tell them to do this. Great. Uh, what would that look like in terms of the customer's perspective? Well, they'll think I'm blowing them off. Okay. Uh, so what can you do that would take care of the problem and make the customer feel like they were taken care of? Oh, I could do this, this, and this. Oh, I like that. Yeah, can you do that? Is, is that hard to do? Do you have everything you need for that? Yeah, I've got everything I need for that. Great. Let me know how it goes. And then I'll hear from them later on. Oh, it was great. I called them back. I gave them the solution. And they asked if they could do this instead. I said, even better. And it's all fixed. And you've just lightened my load an hour a week every week, Jerry. Thank you so much. I'm like, man, yeah. you've lightened my load for hours and hours every week. <laughs> That's great. That's yeah. great. You know, you did a kind of training on the fly there, yeah. you know, to, yeah, to help her grow. And I, I, you know, I think everybody wants to grow. You know, we start that as little children, you know, when your children, they want to help you wash the dishes. They want to help you vacuum because they want to do it. They want to learn to do it themselves. And one yeah. of the first things that toddlers start to say and exhibit is I can do it myself. You know, when you're trying to tie their shoes, they'll move your hand and, you know, they're like, I can do it. Well, they can, but, you know, they, they want to try. So, you know, and that that's something that uh, over the years, if you get with the wrong leaders, they'll pour water on that and yes. it'll just kind of, you know, douse that fire. Yeah. So one last thing I wanted to ask you about, if you can kind of give me like an overview of the carry, crawl, walk, run levels of decision-making um, to provide clarity on the freedom an employee has with the responsibility you've given them. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me so, about that. 
So going back to what we're talking about with like critical thinking and delegating decision making, uh, these four levels I drew from DDI as well as Fierce Conversations. It's kind of a blend of both of their models. Um, and so it's four levels of decision making authority that the person you've delegated to has. Uh, mm -hmm. So at the first level, Carrie, you're not delegating much, if anything. <laughs> it's something that you're going to keep the responsibility for as the leader. You're the one making the decision no matter what. And nobody in the organization wants to see anybody but you doing that thing. Uh, now, I did give an example earlier where that directive was given to me and I threw it out the window anyway, uh, but I made a command decision on my own. Uh, but these would be things like making a multi-million dollar decision for a big project, like enterprise resource planning. You're not going to delegate that to the intern or the, the person who's only been on the job for a year. That might be something that is strictly the director or the vice president of that department to be able to make that decision. So Carrie... That level of delegation is you're not giving any responsibility whatsoever. You're keeping that as the leader. Now, what you may do is have that employee come along with you to the meetings. You may have them eavesdrop on the calls. You may include them on the newsletters and the meeting minutes, that kind of thing. Uh, but they have absolutely no responsibility. You're only bringing them along for exposure. Okay. You're exposing them to this bigger world that exists within the organization that they may not know about. And by exposing them to this bigger world within the organization, you're, you're accomplishing, accomplishing two different things. One, they now see a bigger picture of how their individual role fits in with the rest of the organization. The second thing, or two, you're exposing that individual to others in the organization. So your, your new employee or your seasoned employee you're trying to develop for the next level is now being exposed to other executive leaders, other directors, the, the process of building their reputation outside of the team or the department is now starting. So that's Carrie. Mm -hmm. Crawl, you're delegating the idea generation. So you, you go to the person, and this could be something as simple as creating the work schedule. You bring in an employee and say, hey, here are all the employees we have. Here are their job roles. Here's what I do to schedule the next two weeks. And I do this every week uh, to, to prepare. It's always got to be adjusted. What I'd like you to do is design the next work schedule for our department. And when you do that, you know, you decide who's working what shifts. You know, I'll give you access to who's made PTO requests and time off requests and all those things, who's going out for, um, you know, medical leave without telling you why. Um, but you make a decision. What's the work schedule for the next two weeks? And, and come back to me after you've made that decision. So you're letting them develop their decision-making chops without throwing them under the bus. So they're making the decision, what's the work schedule, but they're not exactly posting it yet. So before it gets posted, they come to you, and now you're using that as a teaching tool. So, so tell me, why is this person here for Monday through Friday? Uh, now, I see that you put them here. Why did you put them there? So you're having them think through the why, and then you give them some additional information, and they start to see, oh, this is how Jerry does this. 
And so that gets them to consider the bigger picture. You know, a lot of times somebody new in the leadership role just thinks they can just plug things in and then, you know, follow the rules. But they, they don't see all these little nuances that come into play. And so it helps them think about the ambiguity of a situation, not just the cut and dry, this is the policy. So that's crawl. You let them do some decisions, make some decisions, but before they actually act on the decisions, they come back to you, they get some coaching, help refine their decision-making process. Walk is you see it, go do something about it, but then come tell me what you did. So I'm delegating the tasks that go with a responsibility area. Um, so you can go and do, you can make the decisions you need to make, but you also need to come back to me and report what happened right away. I know in the medical field, I don't know about in other areas, but in the medical field, they have like these standing directives. So if I'm a nurse and I see the signs and symptoms for sepsis, septic shock in a patient, I have the authority to recognize those uh, symptoms, enact the treatment protocol, uh, and then, inf but after that, I've got to inform the physician and my manager about what happened, what I did, and what's the current status. So that's an example of walk. I can see a thing, make a decision, go do the thing, but I need to go also report it to my leadership so that we can you know, make sure that everything is fine. Run is it's completely mine. <laughs> okay. it, it be, yeah, so it could be a project. So um, you know, maybe my leader makes me a project lead for implementing a training program. So it's mine. I select who is on my team. Uh, I draft the learning objectives. I draft the the training format, uh, the tools needed, the budget needed, all those things. And uh, within certain parameters, I can execute on certain things without having to check in with anybody. And that is mine. Uh, a salesperson doing a sales route, that's typically a run type of delegation. I, I reach these people every month, here are the parameters, and I don't have to necessarily tell my boss after every single transaction what I've been doing, or even every day. You know, I might check in once a week, every two weeks, and it's just an overall update. And there are other metrics that kind of keep you honest and keep you accountable. But So that's the, the four levels. Uh, carry, you're just there for exposure, to learn new things, uh, to exposing yourself to other leaders. Uh, exposing the organization to the individual. Uh, crawl, you're helping them make decisions, although you're not trusting them to make them on their own just yet. They're just practicing decision-making, not suggestions, making decisions. Uh, walk, they're taking action, they're making decisions, but they're checking in with the leadership regularly right after the fact. Run, it's theirs. Uh, you don't have to check in with me every day, but every so often I need to see a report to show what's, what's going on. Wow, that's really great. That's very interesting. And I definitely suggest that, um, you know, leadership, uh, leaders that are listening, um, kind of try to take that into consideration. I'm sure they have at least an employee or two that they can um, implement this pra practice because it sounds like a wonderful thing for growing your employees. So this has been a great conversation, Jerry. I, I have really enjoyed talking with you and it's very, been very enlightening. Tell us uh, how our listeners can get in touch with you. Yeah, uh, the best way is my website, btrimpact.com and just mm -hmm. set up a 30 minute call with me to talk through what's going on in a leadership uh, environment. And we can see if 
one of my programs can help out uh, to be a catalyst for what you do. And then if you just want like free stuff, I give away the audiobook for Beyond the Rut, Create a Life Worth Living in Your Faith, Family, and Career. Uh, and you can get that at beyondtherut.com slash audiobook. But if you like paper, it's on Amazon. Just look up Beyond the Rut and uh, you get the free book, audiobook anyway. Okay, then I'm an audiobook person, so I'll be checking that out awesome. most definitely. So again, thank you so much, Jerry Dugan, talking to us about the Beyond the Rut um, Impact Leadership. And I really enjoyed hearing, you know, the carry, crawl, walk, run theory concept. That's awesome. As well as your other very, very interesting <laughs> stories um, about your training and leadership growth. So again, thank you so much for joining us today. Very, very much appreciate your time. And uh, you and I will chat soon. And to my listeners, please tune in for the next episode of Team Building Cultures. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Team Building Cultures. We hope we have delivered helpful and enlightening information to help you create your dream team. Join us next time.